Welcome back to Miss Radio. This is Gabe. About one year ago, I brought up in a student council meeting that I wanted to start a podcast. I was serving as communications director at the time, and the best way I could think of to communicate with the student body was this. I wanted to start having conversations with other students, with professors, and with professionals from around the Monterey area and hopefully further. I wanted these conversations to be pertinent to our fields, to what we're studying. For me, it was policy, and now it's public administration. These are the things I really care about, and I want to share these conversations rich with information about what our futures are going to look like and things we should know going into them. I wanted to share this with you. So first of all, thank you to anyone and everyone who has listened. I've always said um, I'm super stoked every time I see that there's even one listen to any episode of Miss Radio, so anything that happens after that is gravy. Thank you. I also owe a lot to Rod Wawaba and Susan Wong. They were both on student council with me at the time, and they supported this idea from the start and helped me get it off the ground. You'll hear their voices on the first few pods. Uh, you can find those on our Anchor website and just about anywhere else that you look for podcasts. But this podcast, this particular episode, we're checking in with Rodwa and Susan because they graduated last spring. And they're both doing great things already. They're doing things that are perfectly relevant to what they studied here at Miss. And I wanted everyone listening to know that what we do here matters and what we do here does translate into real careers. Rodwell and Susan are proof of that, and I can't wait for you to hear just how real these skills are that we're learning at Miss, just where it can take you. All right, without further ado, here are Rodwa and Susan. Rodwa, how are you doing? What are you doing? Where are you doing? I'm peachy, and I'm doing peachy things. Just kidding. Um... Hi, I'm great. I uh, am currently speaking to you from Winston-Salem, North Carolina, from the Renfro Innovation Lab. Thing. Renfro. That sounds familiar, um, but I don't know why. Um, it kind of rolls off your tongue in the best way possible, huh? <laughs> um, yeah, so Renfro is the biggest stock manufacturer in the U.S., um we work with many licensed or relicensed we work with many licensed brands um how many are we at now 18 maybe 13 some of which many of you know very well such as ralph lauren new balance carhartt copper soul um yeah those are many of the brands that we clothing brands we make socks for what uh, i know carhartt that's like they make i've seen jackets and pants and stuff Is yes that- Right. Okay. Correct. Fruit of the Loom. I'm sure you've seen that yeah. at like Walmart many times. I've seen That's that us. in my pants. Like in your pants. Best place to be, man. <laughs> in your pants. Um, That's good brand. Yeah. So all these brands we exclusively make all their socks for, and um, I have been commissioned by our CEO along with my business partner over here, Mary Catherine to start two incubator brands on behalf of the company to kind of explore new innovative ways of running startup businesses within a big company. The main goal more than anything is to create new processes for the company to explore in the future in terms of running proprietary brands, but also to explore new ways of creating business and new kind of value adds that we want to make this company about. Okay. So you graduated from the Middlebury Institute of International Studies with a degree in international policy and development and business administration. Um, So which values from the classes you took, the professors you met, the amazing students that you studied alongside, which values are you actually going to make part of these incubator brands? This is actually a great question because a lot of uh, my learnings from this are being carried over into this kind of identity and manifesto. Um, A huge part of this is to make it as sustainably run and as clean running as possible. I want to kind of take the full life cycle of a garment from start to finish and create it, but also dispose of it in very environmentally and socially friendly ways. So that's a huge component of 
what this room is going to be. Um, Mary Catherine over here, she will be doing an outdoor brand and a huge focus of her brand as well is going to be largely in creating sustainable apparel. So things that you can take outside and wear for a long time and created with, you know, repurposed or very um, environmentally friendly fibers that, you know, are not going to harm the environment in any way. Once you try to get so let me ask you something like these brands that are becoming more environmentally sustainable, um, you know, more sustainable supply chains, I hope, mm -hmm. are they going to be affordable to people like you and me? Well, okay. Not you and me, because you're the one getting paid a salary. I have no salary. Um, <laughs> <Get out>. Like, <laughs> To whom are these clothes going to be affordable, I guess is the right question. Well, both of our demographics that we're targeting are, are not, you know, salaried people. Some of them will be, but what I'm trying to say is that we're not making a high tier product. Okay. We're making a very accessible, you know, median income, average household uh, product. The goal is to get it in as many hands as possible and to really, more than anything, more than to sell product, to change the mindset around consumerism and mm. to make them really conscious of not only what they're putting their money into, but what the companies that they're supporting are doing. I dig that. Um, so where does that process start? I mean, as far as like you're incubating a brand, do you have uh, a mind that you're working with a person who has like the creative idea for the brand or, and you're just kind of helping them make it bloom? What, how does this work? Great question. And MK, you can jump in whenever you want. Yeah, MK. Um, Mary Catherine. Correct. Radwa Waba. <laughs> Great person. Look her up. But um, so the idea is that we are actually each a team of one. There is, we are the creative and we are the administrative and operations. So, so you are the brand, essentially? I am the brand <laughs> and she is the brand. Correct. Uh, we are... Uh, when these brands come to fruition, they will have a huge part of who we are in them. And um, I guess that's gonna be part of the emotional journey that we're gonna have in making this happen. We're gonna be birthing our own little baby brands. That's beautiful. Bringing new life to the world. The circle of life, Dave. We are women and that's what we do. We bring life into this world. That's, that's really inspiring. Um, <laughs> so I like I have some experience with like I I did some you might be familiar with fit modeling if you work at a like a clothing company right you have to get people who fit in the clothes so you know if the clothes fit people yeah. oh yeah so I did that at a company called Marmot out here oh, and, yeah because okay. yeah, they're based in Sonoma County uh, Roner Park California yeah. and they obviously have a lot of overseas operations. They have to bring in most of their, most of the clothes that they make bounce back and forth between the West Coast and Southeast Asia, China. Yeah. Um, where would your supply chains and manufacturing end up being located if you were trying to be, I mean, this, if there are proprietary things that you can't share, I understand. No, well, it's I, bad, I just wonder but... how sustainable is that area? How progressive is it in terms of, brands can you create For the record i was only smiling because it's very good that we have mk here because that's her gig she's kind of sweet development sourcing queen of the serendipity over here yeah so it's going to be pretty interesting for us i think um so i think one thing we should probably clarify is we're starting with socks yes being right so company right so like Apparel, we, we tend to use that term a little loosely around sure. here. Um, I think it's maybe it sort of runs a little more in the accessories vein. Um, certainly the goal is to expand at some point, but for right now, um, socks will be the main focus. And I think when you start looking at the availability uh, from a sourcing perspective in that marketplace, it's pretty challenging to find resources that are um, at the forefront of sustainability and who are really utilizing those practices. You know, a majority of the product is coming out of China, as is most things yeah. right now um, in Asia. Um, there's some availability to do that in the U.S., which kind of opens up some freedom to uh, utilizing different practices and, and sort of challenging the norm. 
Um, but this is a really old established industry. And so what, what makes it more established in that sense? Well, so, you know, I think the U S has a, has a huge history with this industry. Um, and specifically in the area that we are in, um, you know, so many facilities, um, are either holding on for dear life or are (laughs) trying to reinvent themselves. And so um, there's freedom in that, which is really, I think, an interesting perspective for people like us who are saying, um, we want to do things pretty (laughs) and this is going to be weird and you're going to look at me like I'm crazy when I tell you that I want to utilize 30% less water, but let's try it. I mean, how, how, how is that received usually? People, do people just kind of stare at you wide-eyed, like, how the hell is that possible? Or do they think, okay, tell me how it's possible? No, I, I think there's a lot of laughing. Yeah, really? it's not the scariest because they know that the, the processes exist elsewhere and the rules <laughs> to do it are also there. It's just that it's not a priority. Right. When you're pumping out, I don't I don't know how many thousands of socks a day. Yeah, like when I'm looking at pumping, essentially, um, what this you way. know, like a thousand dozen a week or a, a thousand, thousand dozen. A dozen thousand. That's a lot of socks. Yeah, it is a lot of it's socks. Just like, <clears throat> I'm not going to stop that process, and I'm not going to stop machinery. So that right, so that you can figure out a, a feasible CSR policy, you know, and put us right. on cost and put our orders backwards. And so it's, it's, yeah, it's not um, shock value. It's more like, cool, when you actually have a running system to transition us seamlessly, which is not a thing, no transition is seamless, um, then we'll do it. Otherwise, you guys are adorable. Yeah, for the environment. <laughs> well, is it, <clears throat> I would imagine it's hard to be in that space, um, especially if you've got these incubated brands, like, if you, if people look at you and they think, oh, isn't that precious? Like, how do you, how do you convince them to take you seriously? How do you convince like wholesalers or merchandise retail locations to actually take you seriously? Well, I don't, I haven't gotten to that level yet. I don't think hasn't I, gotten that far yet. Yeah, we haven't, but I mean, we are going to have to have that conversation at some point. However, it, it all starts internally and it starts with like company culture and structure and, mm-hmm. and getting buy-in from your own team gives you validity and credibility outside. And we have people in the corporation that have been in the stock industry, like MK said, for decades. Like these are, which is, which seems kind of um, not funny, but it's, it's not important to anybody unless you're in it, right? That's how it is with any industry. So when you say X industry might come off as like, yeah, okay, that's not a thing, but this is actually a thing. It dates back, you know, hundreds of years. And there are people here that have so many years of experience under their belt. They're considered, you know, pioneers in the hosiery industry. And so getting their approval or not approval, but getting their like, they're not like this is going well or a good job, or we at least support you. I don't understand what you're doing and may not agree with it, but I support it. Um, is, is kind of integral to our validity yeah. outside of the company. See, we kind of see two parts to that. I think too, like so much of the, um, so much of the path to purchase is changing and so many of the consumer values are changing and, mm-hmm. and we're starting to see that it's truly like a requirement mm-hmm. um, for companies to A, be interested in these practices and B, implement them. And so, um, I think that that has just been a natural shift in the consumer in the past 10 to 15 years. And I, think, and I think that we are um, right in the middle of that shift. I think that it is, it's not going anywhere. I think that uh, the consumer is more knowledgeable than they've ever been before. And I think that um, they're demanding these types of practices. And I think... For an industry such as the sock industry that contributes so much towards like apparel um, pollution and everything that's mm-hmm. like the garment industry we're a huge part of that yeah like you it's either one of those things where you have to get on board and just like start these practices now or you're very quickly going to become irrelevant and so 
And it's not just that, it's something, it's, it's not only better for the world and better for the consumer, it's better business. Mm -hmm. This will be a profitable line in the future because CSR and ESG are the future of every successful business. And what are these acronyms? See it, say those again. Oh, I'm sorry, CSR, corporate social responsibility, mm -hmm. and you know, environmental social governance metrics are the future right. of any successful corporation. Um, if you check with any of the big guys, you know, that are also polluting heinously, but doing their best not to, like Nike, H&M, et cetera, et cetera, they all have programs like that that are well-developed and still developing. They're not done with them. They understand what they're putting out there, but they're doing their best to make it better. Right. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> in terms of like your, your company's output, how how much I, I don't know if you can't put a specific percentage on it that's fine but like how much of the the company you work for is out, output is focused on sustainability how much of it is still you know the, they have their bread and butter products that they need to make money off of well but actually that's a good these, question so these are two small brands you're working on to kind of expand on that so honestly we wouldn't probably be able to give you an accurate percentage mm -hmm. that's fine they do dabble in, they're in very beginner stages and we'll give them that much. They dabble with using fibers such as Reprieve, which is recycled polyester, correct? Um, yeah, so there are, well, it's a, it's a, Reprieve is like a general brand name, but there are like hundreds of fibers that are labeled as Reprieve, which is essentially like a recycled synthetic. Mm -hmm. um, that can be utilized um and you've got people who are who are utilizing things like uh, merino wool and sustainable practice there and yeah so is this an example of the way capitalism can still maybe work without continuing to shove people underwater do, do you feel like this is a sustainable business model really because they're, they're trying these new products they're investing in sustainability and mm -hmm. environmental friendly products things like that because I, I just looked it up a t-shirt not mm -hmm. a sock but a t-shirt <clears throat> requires about 660 gallons of water to produce if this is like <clears throat> five ten percent of the company's output in terms of like its investment and its spending I, I would love to know if this feels to you like it's a I mean you you work for them so you're probably obligated to say it feels good but um, is that what attracted you to this company? Like that they seem to be making an effort to work in a capitalist system, but also produce something that's responsible. I think we'll have two very separate answers to this being that MK is kind of a veteran of the organization. She's been here for about two years, right? Yeah, almost three. Almost three years. So she has probably her own vision as to why she chose to join. So I'll let her answer, but as far as I'm concerned, I was actually attracted to this opportunity because they don't have any any systems or policies in place. So you're coming in with a blank slate, you have the opportunity, right? This, so this is a private company. They don't have to do anything for anyone other than their investors and themselves. And so um, the fact that they have given both of us the opportunity to run with certain concepts, sustainability meaning, being one of them, um, yeah. That's, I don't think it gets better than that in terms of kind of laying down the groundwork for what could be a very uh, successful transition for, you know, a garment company of this size. Um, there are going to be kinks. It's going to be costly. It's going to be difficult to, to get buy-in across the board. But once that transition is made, regardless of how many, you know, years it takes, hopefully under five, it will make for a better company and it will make for better products. Is there competition out there? Are you competing against similar brands? Is that, you said the industry is kind of moving in this direction because consumers are moving in this direction. So if you want to take this MK, go for it. You know, specifically in the hosiery or the sock industry, I don't know that there are people who are really at the forefront mm -hmm. of this. And that may not be fair to say. I mean, I think you You've seen people like Bombas in the past, you mm -hmm. know, five to seven years pop up and they, you know, they're kind of a bit of an outlier. In what sense? Uh, as far well, as like their practices, their sustainability practices? More from a pro-social pro perspective. Okay, yeah, because they donate socks to homeless people, right? Yeah. Uh, I've heard them advertise on some of the podcasts I listen to. 
And yeah. I've always thought, well, if I had the money to buy socks that were that expensive, I would love to buy those socks. That's a really interesting comment. Yeah. We should talk more about that later. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's like I can, go to Costco. I can go to Costco and spend like 10 bucks to get, you know, 10 yeah, pairs socks. of socks. No, probably the, the private label four pair pack that Marino stuff, right? Yeah. Wolf pack. <laughs> yeah, I will. I buy the, I buy the Puma, the Puma socks at Costco. Okay, well that's not as much. Sorry, sorry. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. That's a trust. <laughs> um, but I re- I deeply regret my choice. I, uh, yeah, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go to you now for uh, sock recommendations. Oh, there she is. Um, well, okay, I didn't get that. I I did want to get that last juicy bit from UMK. What what brought you to the company two years ago? Because Rod was saw this blank slate for creating a, a sustainability practice, uh, sustainable brands. How about you? Um, for me, I think. You know, I, I come from a, back, a hosiery background. My family has been in the industry for a really long time. And so um, to know that there was somebody in the United States who was the largest hosiery manufacturer, almost, you know, 100 years old, we're coming up on our centennial in the next one year, year and a half, two years. Um, and so, I'm sorry? Centennial, is that what you said? It's our 100 year anniversary. Oh, cool. yeah. We got yeah. around, y'all. Um, so at one time, you know, there was a statistic that said that one in every like five or seven pairs of five, socks, one in every five socks in the U.S. was made by us. Was made by us, and so um, you know, for me, I've always kind of believed that. Um, why not? I'm a big product person, and so you've got to really learn product in order to do anything else with it, to sell it, to brand it, to create it, to you know any of those things you've got to be a product person and so i figured why not come to the mecca of sock makers right like these people are this is what they do this is all they do this is what they've been good at this is what they've done for 100 years so like let's do it and so who wouldn't want to work at the sock mecca i just wanted to i wanted to make socks so that's that's what brought me here and now i want to make really cool badass outdoor socks I dig that. All right. I'm going to shift gears because now we've got, there she is. We go to the mountains of Colorado. Are you in Denver? I am in um, Superior, Colorado, and it started snowing today. No kidding. Beautiful. That's so exciting. Is this your office? Um, I wish it was my office. No. It's uh, someone else's, um, but they left, so I'm All right. So, Susan. Uh, who who and what and where and when are you now? Like, what is this? Um, so I work at um, SDL. What does that stand for? Uh, software Documentation and Localization. That sounds right. Okay. Yes. So they uh, SDL is um, is one of the top ten localization companies in the world. They're based in Maidenhead, UK, and localization is essentially. So if we're gonna um, pivot for a second, yeah. If, socks you know we have to make sure they're localizable uh to any kind of locale or target culture so if you're going to sell puma socks Mm. you have to make sure the instructions for the factory workers who are going to make them or the legal documentation for puma or any kind of contracts um marketing campaigns they're all localized for your target audience I can see, I, I, I'm feeling the synergy between Radwa's operations. Yeah, so. I, just, I just saw this big smile on Radwa's face, like. Hello, yes, anything that has to do with language and localizing it, I'm in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's what I do. I got an offer uh, right, right before graduation and um, decided, uh, decided to take it, and plus I get to come back home, so. Yeah, I was. I remember you talking shortly before graduation. You were. You seemed concerned because stuff wasn't working out quite as you'd hoped. But it, I'm super glad to hear that. Yeah, uh, it's it's a it's a really interesting company, and I I'm learning a lot. And um, honestly, I think I could have a career, and um, you know, I could totally take Cheryl Sandberg's job. Sorry, girl, <laughs> lean in, like. Sorry. 
That's um, this might be an unpopular opinion, but burn that book. <laughs> it's not, I wouldn't say it's unpopular. It's, it's gaining some traction. <laughs> it's, it's, um, I don't know. Like I realize now, like I, I feel really empowered to help others. I freelance on the side. I, so what I do is I uh, mentor prospective college students from China who are trying to apply for schools in the U.S. and I help them with their essays and interview prep. And I realize that's something I really enjoy doing. I love mentoring people and I used to be a teacher. So I think some of those elements are just creeping back into my life. And I'm realizing like, you know, working here is wonderful. Um, I just realized like I, I want to be able to shift my skill sets to empower other people. So. That's that's really cool. So you've got this side hustle where you're helping. Is it mostly Chinese students? Is that what you said? It is, and yeah, um, yeah it's helping them with their college essays. What are these Chinese students in China applying to American universities, or Chinese students in America, or both? Like um, right now, it's the latter. So okay. a lot of them are actually some of them. I think are in North Carolina. Actually, mm-hmm. um, they're they're in school there, or they're in California, and I'm, I'm looking over their essays and I'm really trying to whip them into shape. <laughs> uh, if I can ask, like, you've, you've probably seen a good number of these essays and applications at this point. Um, yeah. From your own experience and maybe from just when you were applying to colleges, what do these students think about, like, what are they writing? What are they saying? What do they believe qualifies them for a spot in a university these days? Because there's been some controversy you know, with affirmative action and all that stuff. Yeah. I want to, like, I know what the media is focusing on in terms sure. of that, but what are these students focusing on? You know, um, I, I'll be perfectly frank. I think um, a lot of these kids, and I think we're at fault too when we're young, we have no sense of direction. We don't God, know. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, I, my graduate, my essays for undergrad were just dreck. Yeah, mine were terrible until I met great teachers in high school who really challenged me and pointed me me in the right direction. So, um, um, and anyone can step in right now because it's budget day right now, so I have to submit budget. Oh, no worries. (laughs) Um, But um, a lot of them, they they have no idea what they're writing. And I am challenging them to get their thoughts into shape and to start thinking for themselves on an individual level. Um, because a lot of essays I see are like, oh, you know, it's it's been it's been my parents' dream, or it's my blah blah blah's dying wish, like last wish for me to go to college. I'm like, great. Um, next, like, I need why to, do you to be. Why yeah. do you want to go to college? Yeah. Why is it important to you? And I hear all these broad, layered ideas, and like, no, I'm going to give you examples. I need you to read the following sources. I need you to not follow what I'm doing, but I need you to figure out what your voice is. And I think from a cultural standpoint, that's really challenging for them because they've been kind of going with, you know, like they're like herded sheep and they need to figure out what their voice is and their long-term objective goals yeah. are. I, I can't help but think of a movie that I saw last year that you, I'm sure you saw too, Radwa. I don't know if you saw it, but the Crazy Rich Asians kind of illustrates a lot of these issues that you're talking I about. I haven't yet, and I'm you done. Seen okay, I so just saw it. Yeah. I, I'm like the last Asian person to see Crazy Rich Asians. I you just it. saw it too? I just saw it. No kidding. The book was way better. Okay. Yeah. Um, they omitted a lot of, they weren't able to flesh out a lot of the characters. And a lot of the characters are hilarious and offensive, and the mom is horrendously just offensive and cruel. Even worse in the book? Yes. Okay. Because she's pretty awful in the movie. She's like, and I tell me if I'm using this term right, but I'm pretty sure they used it in the movie that the idea of the tiger mom. Um, and that's... Barely, the, she was barely a tiger mom. All she cared really, about, she was just a bit superficial. But in the book, she was just, her, she was just evil. She was just horrible. She just did not... Um, care for Rachel at all and Rachel couldn't do anything to convince her otherwise well until that really interesting like the game theory element that came into play at the end there's an I listened to an NPR episode all about the game theory in that Mm -hmm. movie um, that she employs to essentially win 
over the the mother mm-hmm. by basically just going all in and leaving it all at the table. Almost so, so spoiler alert, that doesn't happen in the book. No. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, okay, I, I won't say too much to more. Like a pretty bow on it for the movie. Ugh. Okay, let's not spoil it for Radwa, but... Um, <laughs> it's okay, just, guys. It takes me 70 years to watch movies because I usually fall asleep during them or just don't have time. And no, it's not because I'm fabulous. It's because I'd rather sleep. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's healthy. Um, so, Susan, hmm. as far as... I asked Radwa this question, too. Um, she's working at a company to build brands to market socks in a, that are made in a more sustainable manner. And Rod would please stop me if I'm misrepresenting you at all. But um, she said that a lot of the values from Miss that she learned in her IPD degree, her MBA degree, definitely filter into what she's doing now. Do you, I know the TLM program is less about, you know, international development at, in, relative to the IPD degree and the GSIPM school, but what, I mean, besides the hard skills that you learned in TLM, of which I've been learning more, like you guys have to learn some serious programming stuff. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. We, um, we barely, we barely scratched the surface. What, what from this are you actually, what, like, what do you recall on a daily basis or what, what runs through your work that you think came from the Middlebury Institute? Okay, well, um, let me touch on prior when you say intense programming. Uh, keep in mind, like we, it's great with the, TLM, <laughs> yeah, TLM is not a CS concentrated background. It's just to get a good surface level, um, broad understanding of what tools and ideas and applications that you might have to use. So it could be JavaScript, it could be Python, it could be scripts, um, and you have to localize them. So for example, um, if you're going on the Marmot website and Marmot is the website is localized into 20 different languages from Bulgarian to Japanese to you know, Greek, because you have consumers all over the world who use it, um, you know, you have to make sure that the, the, the base JavaScript, that file, the heart, the template is able to look, be localizable. Right. If someone got the, the file and they're like, I need this localized into, let's say Romanian. I'm like, okay, cool. And they, they can just like take the file and dump it and then be able to just input the translations in without going into and messing up with the JavaScript file. Right. Because we made, you made it very friendly to use. So even if somebody who doesn't know how to use JavaScript or Python or any kind of programming language, they can just go in and like a translator can just go in and just up, 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 like just insert it in. Wow. I'll take your word for it because I, I kind of doubt my ability to <laughs> just take a piece of JavaScript and know what to do with it. But then that's not my, my yeah. background, so. Cool. Um, my, um, my former partner, uh, she works in Silicon Valley and that's more hardcore. So I remember, um, she was great in helping me prep for my technical interviews and then told me like, you're barely scratched the surface. I'm like, yeah, there's just, and what made me realize about the TLM degree is, um, is it gives you such a good broad overview of everything. And so you're capable of understanding all kinds of aspects kind of like a jack of all trades. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then what I've realized now, um, eight months into my career is you know, you're always learning and you can't beat yourself up over the little thing. And I mm. think that's what I took away from my grad program is I, you know, accepted and was more compassionate about my strengths and my limitations, but looking at my limitations and saying, okay, what do I need to do to get myself forward rather than having a pity party and feeling, being more self-deprecating and becoming more compassionate about my weaknesses and versus like really shutting down. Um, and I'm, I'm having problems at work right now or not problems, just challenges that I'm facing and realizing like, okay, um, I'm really trying my best. I'm trying to work as smarter and harder as I can to make sure that I can reduce these mistakes and I have my boss provide me feedback and at times I'm like gosh like I wish I could just do better and then I realize you know perfection or perfectionism will just make me go crazy. I'm so glad to hear you say that Um, and I think that anybody who's a miss student who hears this Mm -hmm. needs to really listen because 
there is a strong drive. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are people who strive to graduate with their 4.0 at Miss and that's, that is a valid pursuit. Mm-hmm. But, um, I know there are a lot of students who do beat themselves up, who really get down on themselves for not performing, you know, um, with a level of perfection that is not sustainable. So. Yeah. And it doesn't help when like, especially in the TI department. The G style students, you guys have a whole different situation. Like GSIPM, allow me to say, and I'm so sorry to, (laughs) who's the new dean? Uh, Paulus. Paulus, love you, you're great, so please don't kill me. Grades (laughs) don't matter, guys. He would agree with you, frankly. You know, grades do not it's about, matter. It's worry about professional more about developing your skill sets. Yeah. Worry more about getting what you need to do at get out of your final term projects. Worry more about the relationships that you're cultivating, not only with your colleagues, but with other people in and outside of your program and the experiences that you get to do through extracurricular activities at the school. And I'm not saying don't go to class. I'm not shitting on anything that you're pursuing, but be level-headed and like Susan said, what you're capable of doing and your limitations and know that it's always an evolutionary process. If you get a B or an A or a C in a grad school class, yes, C's are not great at the level that we're working with, but also ultimately it's about the skill set and applying it outside of an academic environment. Hmm. I mean shit, you guys. Nobody's hiring you based on your GPA. They're hiring you based on the degree that you just spent trillions of dollars in debt to get. Uh, you heard it first here, folks. <laughs> Great and song. how you can work with other people. That's ultimately it. Yeah, I believe that wholeheartedly. It's uh, It's been a journey for me going, you know, from the first semester to this, my third one here, like, Mm-hmm. Like, actually gotten better but that's been a byproduct of actually focusing more on the stuff that actually matters to me and what I think is going to matter in contexts like the two that you both work in um, being able to solve problems in a team that that's kind of why we work in teams and just about every damn class yeah I, I would say definitely the soft skills are really important. And um, when people say, you know, I have to go to class, I can't go to this networking event in Silicon Valley. Um, the, the, the event I'm talking about for TLM is called iMug. Which, oh, yeah. Yeah, International Multilingual <laughs> User Group. Um, what a great acronym. Um, sorry, I'm, I'm doing this with my hair because it snowed. It got in my hair. My hair poofed up. Oh, no. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. Um, Well, tell me more about this prioritization because you guys both ended up in jobs in careers related to your degrees. So Mm -hmm. you must have prioritized something right at some point. And obviously you didn't prioritize necessarily just getting good grades. But what would you say to a TNI student who is barely like sleeping these days? I would say... Um, the key thing that in the last eight months that I've really learned about myself is really taking initiative in my mental health. Mm-hmm. And I want to just emphasize that for all TLM, TI, whoever, wherever you come from, that your mental health, no matter what stigma there is in your culture, it's really important to just think about, it sounds selfish, but really think about mm. what you need. And if, and um, when I first started transition, when I moved back to Colorado, um, it was an off to a bumpy start. And I have to be grateful for my support group, aka my friends who, you know, called me out and they're like, you're burning yourself out. You know, mm-hmm. you don't need to do that. And they told me in a very compassionate way, you know, take a step back, look what you need to do and focus on how you can make things better and improve one step at a time. And there is no shame in finding help. And that's what I did. And, um, you know, uh, I'll put it on public record. Uh, uh, Counseling, um, you know, medication, all those kinds of things, all those factors have really helped me feel more balanced when I'm at work. And that's really important for me because I work in a 
pretty high stress environment in terms of, I have to manage a lot of projects. I have to manage a lot of different little elements. And I used to get so fixated on, you know, screwing up like I, oh man, I screwed up on this email. You know, it's the end. Like mm. I could, I would catastrophize everything. And, mm. you know, being at, and when I was at Miss through TLM, like I, we were able to, you know, triage problems at a more smaller level. But then, you know, when you get thrown into the real world, um, you have a lot more elements you have to think about. Um, and so what I encourage people to do is just really, I prioritized um, my health needs. And that got the ball rolling to help me balance out what I, uh, in my career, in my personal life, and all that. Well, just, I mean, in terms of, like, your personal energy economy, like, you have, if you spend too much time spiraling and reflecting and hating yourself, Mm -hmm. like, reflecting on mistakes you've made, you're just, you're doing a disservice not only to yourself, but whatever the work is you're doing. You're not focusing on the work. And it's it's easier said than done, to be Mm -hmm. sure. But, and I, um, I would say for like any any student, you know, prioritize prioritize your health needs now, and that will really help you feel more balanced. Yeah. After I did that, work got felt a lot more manageable. And another thing I did to take care of my health was, you know, find a hobby or <laughs> something that really you know challenged me. And I was always really interested in rowing, um, thanks to um, going oh, that yeah. area and. I row and I found, you know, my tribe. I think that's another thing for people to do is to not isolate themselves and find, you know, people who you have common ground with who bring positivity in your life, not mm. toxicity. Like positivity, you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Definitely do that. <laughs> and um, another thing I prioritize that miss that helped me, you know, get to my career now is the networking. And I understand a lot of people, you know, they're quote introverts or they're more adverse to reaching out and putting their best foot forward. I love you, Susan, but I'm mad she said quote introverts. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when people are like, I have anxiety. <laughs> yeah, introvert is a kind of an umbrella word for a lot of different things. <laughs> so it's really important to put yourself out there and really try and practice your networking skills. Um, and I think one thing that I benefited from that was outside of this was working part-time. I worked at a winery. Oh, that's uh, right. Yeah. Wrath, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wrath was, you know, it was, it just fell in my lap. It was an opportunity I took. I answered a Craigslist ad. I'm like, yeah, I can, you know, pour wine and talk to people and lift 50 pounds of boxes. <laughs> yeah. That's fine with me. I had no idea what, wine was about and I decided you know what I'll just I'll give it a try I'm I'm not afraid to back away from a challenge and I have a lot of friends who let's say look at job descriptions and say I don't know if I can do that I've never done that before I'm like you have in a different in a different way in a different manner that you can totally apply yourself and also you can learn those skills when you're there Um, I have a lot of friends who hesitate in applying for jobs because they don't match a hundred percent of the requirements also lies. Don't do it. Just apply. Yeah. Ooh, okay. Because mm-hmm. I'm myself in that very situation right now, looking at applications for different kind of like, you know, policy and budget analysis positions in different areas. And like, I definitely, I cannot in good faith say that I know how to do statistical analysis of a budget or a program. Like if you just dropped me into it, I didn't do that well in policy and data analysis. I had a strong group. Um, that did know what they were doing. Uh, Kate Fisher was in my group and she killed it. She Oh saved. my God, I hate her. And by <laughs> her, I need to say I love her. She was uh, literally at my house last week. So uh, what is the, like, how, how do you apply to a job for which you are not technically fully qualified? Like, what? how do you make your case? Well, I think for me, it's, I mean, I'm not, I'm not promoting applying for jobs that you are clearly completely unqualified for, but if you have the educational background and you understand at least what the qualifications being asked are, um, it's a simple difference between somebody knowing what are is and isn't. If you have, you know, dabbled in the program and can get through, even if you are not at expert level, um, 
apply. You never know. It all depends on, of course, the level of the position. If this, if we're talking entry level, it'll be understandable. Your workplace should support your growth in developing your skills in that. And honestly, be honest. I mean, of course, everything takes a little bit of fluff and a little bit of transparency, mm. but it's all about, for me, showing that you are willing to put the effort to get better and learn. Yeah. Um, yeah. And just get the work done regardless. I think a lot of people are hindered by their um, fear of thinking that they can't complete a task or they're incapable of reacting on the spot and getting something done. Yeah. That's yeah. not the case. A lot of it is hustling and being resourceful on your own. That's what learning on the job literally means. Mm -hmm. You get in there, you're presented with a scenario you've never seen before. You have a set of tools in your tool belt and you make it happen with what you have. And along the way, you'll discover whatever best practices are or whatever the right way to do things are. But in being scrappy, you'll find 20 million other ways to do it without the official way, you know? Um, that's very encouraging uh, for me personally, and I hope it'll be encouraging for anybody else who hears this, uh, because obviously we can only, you can only learn so much in two years of a graduate program. Um, right, yeah. Even if you are a focused student on, say, TLM or M like MBA skills where you actually get some business acumen before you graduate. Um, I'm trying to get more like real world practice. That, that, that I think that's what they say. Practice is mo more important than just about anything else. Um, so just being in class and getting theoretical knowledge is not the end. That's for damn sure. You know, I, I had an interview with, um, with a company in Monterey and like, they looked at my resume and I, I told them like I didn't have enough room for something. Um, it just it just came about. They're like, so what do you do right now? I'm like, oh, you know, well after this interview, I'm I'm working um, at the winery, and they're like, why isn't this on your resume? Right. Okay. So and this is I, that's a real question. Like, I don't have room on a one page resume for all of the wineries I've worked at personally. So that's right. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> like, I there's room for like three three jobs at, at best. Right. Um, like European CVs, you know, you can have like you're allotted like two pages and then in the United States, you have to make sure it fits to one page. So um, I, I got really great advice from uh, Winnie Hay, Hay um, who is down in uh, McGowan, if you ever, not McGowan. Um, McCone? What's that? McCone? McCone. Yeah, she's down in McCone on the second floor. If you ever need her advertising for okay. herself. He is a great mentor and great advocate for T for all G style TI TLM students. Like he really helped me get ready for my interviews. Um, and so what she told me was making sure that I had like a template of everything that I have done and then just copying and pasting those elements into, mm. into tailoring whatever company I was applying for. That's smart. Yeah. yeah. Smart, yeah. Um, and so back to that company, they, they, they exclaimed, like, this should be on your resume. I'm telling you now, you should have this on your resume. And then when they told me, what do I do at school outside of class, I said, oh, you know, I'm also helping with a podcast producing. They're like, why isn't this on your resume either? Like, Wait, so are you saying that being part of a podcast isn't a total waste of time? <laughs> yeah, it's not a waste of time. I've I'm been, so glad to hear that. Yeah, so when... So one thing I would okay, definitely highlight the fact that you're a producer for a podcast. Okay. Podcast. Hell yeah. I'll kill you. <laughs> Hello? Come on, dude. I, for whatever it's worth, I, I'm putting together an application for a city management fellowship in Phoenix and it's a one page resume, but Miss Radio editor and producer is among the positions that I describe on it. So Gabriel, yeah. we need to have an offline conversations about the future of your political career. Allow me to be your chief <laughs> staff, man. I got you. Yeah. I will be uh, your yeah. communications marketing director. Okay. I, I, <laughs> it, well, that's the thing. Like, I think about Miss, and I think about all these people that I'm meeting, and you, know, you both have been t saying like networking is, is everything, and I believe that, and I've been learning it's all about who you know, and people have been saying that, and it sounds like a cliche, but it's entirely true. Okay. Um, but it would, if, if that's where my career <laughs> somehow ends up going, um, if that's the way I can best serve the people that I live around, um, I will definitely call the two of you. 
Because <laughs> I know to 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 touch on how what you asked Susan regarding, like yeah, what do you do for the students that are in their second year, third or fourth semester? Susan, more power to you, girl. The networking thing, you you killed that. I remember that. I'm not a networker, friends. For those of you that know me, really? I know I know nobody believes it. I don't network well. I get very awkward. I get clammy hands. I just can't do it. It's not my gig. I always thought you're such a smooth operator, but that's what everyone says, and I think that's the biggest joke of my life because I just I can't do it. Like going into networking events, just punch me in the face instead, and let me move on. You know, and right. so I network through my work. Like I let my work do the networking for me, and while I don't advise anyone to do this, but I was working five jobs my last semester at school. So, um, yeah, like a full credit load. So I do not, absolutely do not promote that either, but that's, I say this to say, work really hard. The extracurricular positions that you take on or whatever clubs that you join, you know, that's your networking opportunity. Your colleagues, the people that have similar interests as you and see you operate on, on a level that you're not getting graded on, this is not a classroom assignment, right? And you're not necessarily even getting paid for it most <laughs> of the time, right? So that, that's your resume, that's your unspoken business card, you know, and, and that's what has gotten me further than anything. But if you're a networker and you can do it like our girl over here, do it, go talk to everybody. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and one thing about to, to touch on um, networking, it's not about like, it's fostering good relationships. It's not about mm -hmm. like, okay, got that card, all right, cool, add them on LinkedIn, that's it. No, mm -hmm. you have to solidify that. I've, I've seen that happen in a lot of networking events, be it iMug, Women in Localization, um, tech startup, whatever, um, local world, you know, people meet and then they're like, they say hi, they get the business card and then they think, okay, that's settled. They know me. No, no, mm. no. If anything, if I, anything I've taken away from working at a winery, from being at Miss to any kind of interaction I've had with people in my previous career, it's definitely putting in the effort, one, valuing that other person, showing that you're loyal to them and, you know, engaging them and that's it's like making friends if <laughs> it's not a mechanical process is what i'm hearing it's a really organic human process yes yes you cannot force it so for example if you meet somebody let's say like i, I was at local world and someone was like oh my god that's somebody from you know that's somebody from tinder or that's somebody from you know microsoft i gotta meet them so i can like secure it you gotta keep your expectations you gotta manage your expectations <laughs> It's it, that's one thing I've learned about relationships, personal, you know, career-wise, working-wise. You have to make sure that you manage your expectations. So when you meet somebody, say from Sony, you love Sony and you want to work for their localization department, and you think like just by knowing them, just by meeting them, that you're going to secure it. That's that's a pretty um, that's it's not the best or reasonable approach. Yeah. To networking what you have to do with networking is solidifying those relationships and what I did for example I went on an interview at Apple I didn't get the job I went through <laughs> four or five interviews and it was wow. tough and it was grueling and um, you know but then you know at the end of it because I engaged because I was you know I was myself I was myself I was being true to myself and showing them my vulnerability and being human, um, you know, I created a lasting impression for them. And, wow. and that, that could come in handy in the future, you know? Yes. And so you what I did was followed up with them and, you know, and, to, and express my gratitude and thank them and network them and ask them if I could add them on LinkedIn, even though I didn't pass, you know, and a lot of them accepted my invitation on LinkedIn and I would follow up and say, you know, I really appreciate the insight. And if there's, you know, opportunities in the future, I would really love to, you know, give it another chance. And they're like, yeah, by all means. And then, you know, establishing, like, locking that down, later on, someone told me in my class, like, I went to an event at eBay last week. I'm like, oh, cool, that's awesome. Like, and I met blah, 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 blah from Apple. I'm like, oh, yeah, he was, he interviewed me. And they're like, yeah, and I told them I went to Miss. And then immediately, you know what they said? They're like, do you know uh, Yeah. And she's like, yeah, she's in my class. They're like, we loved her. 
you made an impression. And yeah, it, it's it's impression. Like, yeah. the impression you made and what you were saying about like, if you see a Microsoft or Sony executive or something, it's like, if you just walk up to them with the intention of just saying you met them, basically, it's like, it's all about the intention you bring to that conversation. Right. Um, it's not, if it, you're not just there to seek, you know, the celebrity, you're not there just to say you met that person or add them, have them as a contact. Do you actually believe in what they're doing? Do you want to work for them? Is that it, like the intention behind it sounds more important than whether there's actually a possibility that you're going to get, you know, mm-hmm. the position at that very moment. Yeah. Um, and they remembered you for all the right reasons. It sounds like. Exactly. You, yeah. Be remembered for all the right reasons. It's like, um, I, my friend, um, from the, <clears throat> excuse me, from the TLM program, we, um, we've been talking since graduation and we both realized we're applying this metaphor. Like finding a job is pretty much like dating. <laughs> and, um, uh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, I'm going to level with you, Gabe. I've been going on a lot of dates, Rabba. I've been going on a lot of dates. <laughs> Wait, are we talking about job interviews or actual? <laughs> Um, well, well, both. And, um, and so what I want to tell all my TLMers, okay, as your former, former student council. Are you going to tell them there's hope out there? <laughs> there is hope. See, that's what I wanted to ask you, actually. That's how I wanted to kind of wrap this up. Um, how, you know, whether it's in your jobs, in your companies, whatever your scope is, like whatever the scope of your daily life is, do you feel optimistic do you feel hopeful because there are a lot of reasons to feel one way or another these days um, about whether you're in a business or an industry or a country i mean there's some shit going on so my dude hmm. you're saying wrap this up don't get me started i know it's a hard place to say give me a concise answer but. yeah I just since last night, I don't know if you guys heard the RPG news. She's not doing well. Oh, um, right, it was another justice. I will <laughs> not be okay if this happens. <laughs> I'm already telling all the necessary people that need to know to check up on me because we can't lose another third justice to this mm-hmm. presidency. It can't be her. It's not going to be okay, but that's fine. I digress. Is there hope? <laughs> um, Yes, there's always hope. I don't think there's never hope. There's always hope. There's always I think hope. the four of us on the Zoom call are, are the hope. We have to be. There isn't anything <laughs> elsewhere. <laughs> right? Seriously, <laughs> I think in, in each of our ways, just you keeping this podcast alive, you know, Gabe and Susan, you doing the language work that you do and mentoring these kids and like, yeah, apart, however how small it is, we're moving forward. We're doing our best to, you know, get ourselves out of this rut as individuals, as communities, as, as a country. <laughs> and uh, hopefully, you know, this too shall pass, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> but to, to quote, was it Romance of the Three Kingdoms? There's this general named Taltal. Through chaos, do the heroes emerge? Mm-hmm. A lot yes. of heroes are emerging. A yeah. lot of heroes are emerging. And that's yeah. a good thing. And that's a good thing. I think that's the hope is that out of all this chaos, like you said, change is coming in a positive way. People that otherwise would not have stepped up, stepped up are stepping up. Yeah. And so when this um, shit show of an administration is done playing games with us for the next two years, you know, we'll start rebuilding on a clean slate, hopefully as clean as it can be at that point, if there's anything left, <laughs> and start, you know, looking for a better future. Mm-hmm. Well, I think... Like I said, we have to be that future. There is, we can't just talk about it as if it'll happen without us doing something. Mm-hmm. So that sounds corny and cliche and all those things, but but it's I not why it's a trope. Why is it a cultural trope? Because it has to be. It has to be true. Mm-hmm. We are, and obviously, like there's a generation behind us coming up with their faces attached to their smartphones even more than ours are, and it's. Got to get those faces looking up and around. Um, oh, I, I would say that they Susan, are. That's I think there's a level of cynicism there, but if you look at if you look at the younger generation, they are 
trying to take initiative, getting their voices heard. They but are. They're actually, the next generation is way more informed than we were at their ages. They have That's a lot for sure. more access. Yeah, absolutely. They have a lot more access to information and they know how to find it. It's not, it's no longer a question of access. It's a question of um, being what? able to look for particular things and synthesizing that information and they're getting better and better at it. And I think equipped with the right tools and the right encouragement, the generation after us, Gen Z, they're gonna they're gonna take whatever we have cooking and they're gonna change the world and it's gonna be really cool. We just gotta keep the world intact long enough to hand it over. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Gabe, thank you so much for putting this together and getting us all together. This was even better than I thought it would be. So thank you both. Thanks. And thank you, uh, MK. It was a pleasure to meet you. Yeah, so yes. fun. Honorary Miss Mafia member. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> You've been inducted. Yeah. Um, and Susan, good luck with the rest of your. Um, God, I, I love the idea. I love both of the things you're doing, especially this side hustle. That's getting kids to realize why they matter. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Just figuring out what you want to do, and it's okay to not know what. That is crucial. It's okay yes. to not know. Get comfortable with uncertainty because that's all we've got coming at us right now. That should be your part two of this conversation. Yeah. Okay. Well, this we will follow up on this uh, at some point soon. Yeah. Uh, this was too good not to. So. Yeah. Generally, Fridays are good for me. So. All right. I'll keep that in mind. Okay. Love you both. Be good. Let me know if you need anything. All right. Nice to meet you guys. Bye. Okay. Bye, Gabe. Adios. <laughs>